0: This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets, just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the Athletic Evolution podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Stephen Somerville. For the past 40 years, the sport of judo has consumed Stephen's life in one way or another. As a successful competitive player infamous national development coach and for a number of years a key member of the education development team for the Scottish governing body of judo, Judo Scotland. Stephen is very proud of his reputation as one of Scotland's most innovative program developers which he developed during his time at Judo Scotland. Now on a journey of leadership and conscious social understanding Stephen is determined to make a difference to society with the charity Movement Park. The SCIO formed in April 2015 with the vision to create a culture where the wealth of the community is judged on the health of the community. With a passion for long-term people development and movement competencies, Stephen is seeking to bring this to a community within Glasgow, helping individuals understand and realise the importance of staying active for life and moving well. With his experience and knowledge, Stephen has no doubt that this can be achieved and is determined to do so in his rather unconventional and quirky way. Okay, so welcome to the podcast, Stephen. It's fantastic to have you on today. Thanks for your time. Good to be here. Nice to be involved. So, for those who haven't come across you and uh, across Movement Park, help us understand your kind of background and perspective a little bit more. So, you know, tell us about your own kind of journey in sport as a youngster and how that's taken you to where you are now.
1: Well, my kind of background is 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 pretty straightforward. As as I was a judo player um, and a judo player through and through, um, both myself and my my brother um, done judo uh, from a, a very early age. Um, I think I was just going on 10 and, and maybe people would know David out there. He's, he's kind of out in the circuit a lot. Um, we did judo and, and judo from, from ages really early. Um, we did do a lot of different sports as well, but predominantly they were always um, to make our judo better. Uh, we did swimming and we did wrestling and we did lots of running and, and various other things. But again, it, it was pretty much just to make our judo better. Um, we found, our, I think is very, very key to, to my story and maybe a lots of other people's stories, I found an inspirational teacher very young in our life. And that, that teacher and those boys and, and girls and pack that we met really early on became, became our life very fast. Um, to the point as in most of those, that group away back then, at, at those early kids years, are still very much friends, and, and they're very much involved in judo, and and the, and the, they play key parts of, of judo in the in the landscape. So that that early inspiration and that early um, engagement <clears throat> from a teacher that was was very very playful. Um, he was always some in some cases he was always just one step ahead of us. He, he wasn't a high level player. He was very much a lot of the time learning out of a book and bringing it to us and saying, "What do you think of this, boys?" So. It was always a very, very playful environment. Um, and, and we quickly um, started traveling as a, as a pack, and as a gang, or as a, as a group. Um, and, and those friendships were installed all the way through our life. Um, that makes with a really strong family unit. Mum and dad were always very, very supportive. Um, that that, that would just cemented our experiences. Um, in, our, in our early part of our careers. Um so but I think I think the most important part is, is finding that inspirational teacher. Um we never had very many friends at school. It became about the club and and we started travelling all over the place, you know. Um so from there on then then once we started to compete at judo, then obviously that that hook, that that competitiveness as two brothers, we we uh, we we like to uh, a good old fight and a good old rumble and the competitiveness if somebody was feeling off for one day that that if you're doing it I'll do it um, kind of drove you through those kind of teenage years but if, if we're looking back um, once we were 12, 13 then we kind of understood that we would have loved to be Olympic champions and, and, and that kind of um, focus and, and vision of of that dream was was huge and it was a burning, burning desire, both in myself and, and, and in David. So um, that, that set, set the rest of our, our careers until early early 20s. Um, uh, I wasn't the strongest competitor. Looking back and in, in my career now, it's probably more the, the, mm-hmm. the mindset. I never believed I could win, <clears throat> which many, many children out there are. I'm always second best and unfortunately, or unfortunately at the time, David was always always that stronger competitor, so there's always interest in looking back that of a child that automatically starts to win and the confidence that grows from that, and then somebody that's always coming second or third and how they figure themselves into into the big bad world. Um, so as a competitive player, I wasn't always the most successful, um, and that has its detriments to to your, to your thinking. But at some point, you've got to kind of drop off that full-time desire of doing something and, and winning and being world champion or big bad medals um, and, and move into a, another, another um, avenue, which obviously is coaching and where I am today.
0: So. so talk us through that transition to coaching. What was that journey like? Because again, that's like a whole nother, you know, you go to a deeper level of understanding and a deeper level of yeah. you know, commitment again on a different kind of sphere.
1: Yeah, well, the coaching thing is—I think it was all, always bubbling there. And again, it goes back to that inspirational teacher. Our inspirational teacher, whose name was Duncan. I think if Duncan had been a rocket scientist, we would have been a rocket scientist. You know, it wasn't—it wasn't judo. I don't think we fell in love with it was that teacher. If he taught whatever he taught, it was it was the the methodology of the teaching. It was the engagement and the inspiration, and the friendships. Um, then you fall in love with a good old rumble and, and the competitiveness of the physicality of judo. Um, but we're always a very technical club. Um, we were always trying to. It wasn't about the winning, although winning is important, and that's what uh, structures are built on, I suppose, squads and all that sort of thing. But it was. It was always um, let's pick a technique of the day, and if you if you scored with that technique you won something silly like a Mars bar. So it wasn't about the medal, it was about the achievement of what we're working on and how we put that into process in the competitive field. So when we moved over to coaching, it was, we, as all players, you understand, you just do something, don't you? You just do it automatically. And slowly, slowly, you, you pick away of it. Oh, that's what I really do. That's how I can, I can deliver it. Um, as a competitive player, I had to walk away for a little while. Um, to to process or the disappointment as you see at that time, but slowly but surely judo pulls you back and and then I think I think the long term when you learn your apprenticeship as I call it, it, it was when I went back into teaching schools full time. Um, I started a judo business and started to get into teaching full times, and and that was the that was the time of before active schools. So again, it was all about engagement and the inspiration of not just uh, the young children, but of local schools. So if a school liked us and we got a a, a a relationship with the school, then the, the school went to judo in, and they could see a lot of schools. They oh, go judo; they're going to teach the kids how to fight. But the beauty of judo is is in martial arts is is the backbone and the ethics and the morals and, and all that sort of stuff that comes with it. So so by doing schools day in, day out, day in, day out and and doing lots and lots of mat time of all sorts of ages and all sorts of behaviours and social deprivation and coming from Glasgow and then working with club players that are paying you to teach the child all these different mixtures. I think I class those years as my apprenticeship years um, and really understanding your delivery style and and how you communicate with people, whether your your, half-year session is a half-an-hour class plan the class comes in and it's cut down to 15 minutes. What do you take out? What do you throw in to still inspire those kids? Because you want them then to come to your club as a pathway. So all those years of chopping and changing and thinking on your feet teaches you that, you know, you're half a comedian, you're half a showman, you're half a teacher, you're half a, you know, you're half a big brother. You're you're playing all these different roles, which um, always stands you in good stead for, for switching over to that, for that proper um role of a, of a teacher so i think i think those years really put you know put a lot of good work in um, and a lot of others on the mat <coughs> which i've got to do to be good at anything so um yeah
0: so looking back on on those various roles in serving your apprenticeship and you know your time with Judas scotland and, and what you're doing today have you kind of put your finger on what is the the kind of underlying driver or the why for you does it come back to being that inspirational coach or is there something else
1: no, I think so. I mean, the the from from working in the schools and stuff like that, then my my club grew and grew and grew, and I think I think that's always what, what is underlying of, of the the wise I do things is is that first engagement and that inspiration, of of you know the role model, all these things, the good ethics and morals and and the moral compass of you know what's right and wrong and to try hard at something and which that's what makes you good. So. When I, when I moved on from my club life and my, my, my large club, I mean, I had a lot of players at that point um, in national squads and G B and, and I'd been doing it for a good 10 years system. And it, it takes that long to build the system. I kind of I was I was tired you know dealing with players and traveling all around the place and, and stuff like that and, and and at that point I was I was teaching as a as a national coach as well at develop development stages so I was teaching from grassroots all the way to, to GB level um, and that 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 large age group is, is quite exhausting so I, I was traveling a lot um and I had a young family, so so the national development's job came up for, for Judo Scotland. And that was a change in the direction as well for me because it took me off the mat. Um and I but again it's still it's still about inspiring people, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's um mums and dads of understanding, it's still inspiring people to stay engaged with with sport in general, or and, and that's still in that particular instance it's judo. Um so, so my years at Judo Scotland, I still classify them as inspirational years. Um, the years at Judo Scotland gave me a, a chance. I struggled, you know, stepping off the mat. I, I didn't want to step off the mat as a full-time coach. And as anybody stepping off the mat as a player and anybody stepping off the mat as a coach. These things are, are quite uh, dramatic at times, um, but major learning curves at the time at Judo Scotland. I was thankful that I'd done a lot of travelling, um, got to go to Canada, and I had a lot of time. My role at Judo Scotland was very much to kind of look at um, the technical aspects of judo and say, right, okay, <clears throat> to keep people in judo, why they're leaving, and, and it basically comes down to confidence and competence. If you know, you hear coaches saying, oh, he can't do a certain technique, and well, okay, you might not be able to do that technique, but what are the underlying things pinning that technique? Is it hopping, skipping, jumping? It's a very technical sport, throwing somebody over your back on one leg when they're trying to get away. You know, so um people always say gymnastics is that life, that life skill sport. Well, try like doing you know it's like gymnastics, but the, the horse is pushing you back. So there's force there. Um so it's a very complex sport. So, so my role at Judo Scotland is to kind of look at these things. And that's when I first really, really got interested in fundamental movements and physical literacy. Um, And I was introduced to so many different models um, as well as paying attention to the maturation and um, skill development and all these other things that that Sport Scotland were talking about and other people were talking about at the time. So um, that mixed being involved with the coach education systems it was a it was a big mad mix of, of things that you I was allowed to play with, I was allowed to t- talk about. We were allowed to rip apart. Um and the kind of initiatives that that I designed and implemented at that time really kind of pointed me in the direction. I started to show signs that, that this this judo thing wasn't enough. It was starting to be it was starting to be so unjudo. It was starting to be so fundamental, especially when I kind of went to tutor for Sports Scotland. I was getting involved with cycling coaches and physical literacy and all the other coaches coming together. And you were kind of starting to say like, OK, you know, you always think your sport is a lifestyle sport. You talk to basketball coaches, talk to cycle coaches. They all think it's a lifestyle sport as well. Everybody thinks their sport is a lifestyle sport. And, and, and you're right. Everybody's is a lifestyle sport. You're doing it for your, as, all your life. Um, but one of the great things about judo is, is the, the grading syllabus. That is a a fundamental, it's a backbone of our sport. It's a development tool. You understand that you're getting better because you're going up those grades. And I kind of started to understand that the, the syllabus round about that was was very, very important. Um so so that time at Judo Scotland was was invaluable for, for, for me as a person and, and to move on to, to what movement park was going to be. So talk us
0: through that transition. So obviously you said stepping, you know, stepping off the mat as a full time coach to go into the development side of things was a challenge. I imagine yeah. stepping away completely to, to movement park was a whole another challenge.
1: No, that, well it was the right time at the right place um, for it. For a movement park was always bubbling under there from from that moment that I started playing with physical literacy and and then we people didn't know what what does physical literacy mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, so. I remember having active schools coordinators asking me what physical literacy thinking and thinking to myself, oh, wait a minute here, you know, so we've got a lot of work to do. Um, traveling to Canada and stuff like that, it made you realise, well, right, okay, so this is what it really means. So w- the idea from for Movement Park was always bubbling under there, but the Commonwealth Games um, was a, a major factor, obviously. Judo was a very successful sport um, in Glasgow, and... Um, and it kind of, one of my general clubs at the time got thrown out another centre for having too many mats and too many members. And at that point, I kind of said, wait a minute, here, like, we're being removed from centres for the past 30, 40 years for having too many members, too many people being active. And so I, thought, I had looked at a building um, in the old industrial part of Glasgow and South Street about 12 years before. So at that point, I thought, right, okay, let's go and, Look at that building, and, and and make the change, and at that point, understanding um, funding streams a little bit better, and and sports Scotland a little bit better. I approached Sports Scotland for a facility grant, and, and we were lucky enough to get it. So, so for three or three or so years, I was doing both. I was balancing uh, Movement Park and Judo Scotland. Um, obviously, doing Middle, Movement Park just as a as a rising idea. But it, it slowly became bigger and bigger and bigger to the point as in both myself and Judo Scotland says right. Okay, I can't do both full time. You know, it's impossible. So I made that made that decision to to um, to to do moving part full time. But those early years was a massive learning curve. I mean, a frustrated from being a frustrated judo coach to, to running a full time charity, um, organising a board and and all the all the stuff that you. You learn from, from running a board um, to a change over a board um, was was probably where my, my biggest learning curve was. but um, hopefully fingers touch wood, but we're kind of getting through that now. And I've kind of maybe kind of got a grasp of it now. Can <laughs> maybe kind of got a grasp of it now, I hope. So talk us um, so. through that
0: that journey, the, the kind of birth of movement park. So you've gone from, you know, that kind of catalyst of the Commonwealth Games and there being a spotlight on, on Glasgow and on um, you know you're saying a natural kind of progression from judo into that that physical literacy where did it go from there from being an idea to to being like action where you actually were looking at funding streams and how did that whole process look like
1: it kind of happened pretty fast it was myself and two other judo players at the time um, the miller brothers who kind of thought right okay well it it was predominantly a judo idea at the start you know we'd been thrown at another venue and thought right we're going to get somewhere here and get a bit of funding and open a, a dojo um, as such for, for Glasgow and launch it off the back of the Commonwealth Games. I'd always been paying attention to other sports. And, and as I said, judo is a fantastic sport because of the the, the ethics and the morals and, and what that kind of stuff that the martial arts give you. But I'd always been paying attention to urban sports because it's got that culture, it's got that, that coolness, and I always felt it was it was something that could add to martial arts and a mixture of movement that that was was a nice mix. So so that's what I kind of brought to the table. The funding streams and things like that, in the building just just happened pretty, you know, it moved along quite easy. The board part um, was a difficult part and, and we' would made a decision really on it a movement park that we were in an area of social deprivation so we are in a G14 in Glasgow and and the whole idea was about building confidence and competence around children that that is the main focus and giving children um, a model that they could come and play for with with various different sports and various different movement styles for a, for a very price that is very affordable. Um, sport is getting more and more expensive. Um, and if you're going to four or five different clubs, it's hitting your pocket pretty, pretty hard. So so the system is not really kind of built for for your kid to be able to do parkour, skateboarding, basketball, judo, you know, circus tricks, physical literacy classes. And I thought, right, like, okay, let's start playing with that that idea. So so that's that was the the whole idea. And looking at it, the, the the initiatives that I played with with, with judo Scotland, w- w- it was very much I, I wanted to move into this this area of family participation. As um, as adults, as we all know, it there that it gets it gets harder and time becomes harder. So you you put you put your kid into the um, family classes, uh, sorry classes, and then take over the coach. We wanted to try. And, the design classes that, that the whole family could come and play together, and mum and dad could see maybe making a fool of themselves or making something mistakes or making, and, and and the kids can play with their older brothers no matter what age. So that mixture, um, I feel, it was something that we wanted to start to play about with. But the urban sports thing was was key because what we decided pretty early on is is we weren't going to use high level coaches. We were as much for um, young coaches coming through from the local community, um, young young volunteers coming and just dipping in and out, and then maybe saying, "Oh, I quite fancy that," and and a pathway for them to grow. So, so the model of movement park then became for the participation, for the volunteers, for families, for young coaches, and for those first three or four years, it, it was it was a proper juggling act, you know, the the coaches. Um, the difficult part of a model like that is, is bringing all those clubs together, all those different coaches, all those sports are at a completely different um, part of the journey. You know, like parkour and skateboarding, there are a lot still are, are, are out there um, as a lifestyle, and they're not quite a sport, or are they a sport, or their street culture, or, you know, so the coach education is all at different phases the session planning all at different phases the the mentality is all at different phases so all these things were probably more problematic rather than the, the side of the funding and getting the place the doors open um so so that was kind of more of a challenge um getting everybody aligned to each other in those early days
0: what so, was the response like initially from the community was it a concept that they kind of grasped initially or was there a no. bit of Kind of confusion around what it what it was about, yeah. what it was trying to achieve.
1: Yeah, it was it was most definitely a confusion. I, I, anybody that kind of knows me, I, I I kind of go from start to stop, at hundred miles an hour, and movement Park, As I say, we we, we capped the the the, the membership, a monthly membership. The, the people were like kind of, you get all that for only that at that price. So the kind of your money sometimes maybe was a um, a catch as, and they didn't believe that you got all that for that price. Um, some people didn't know it as a community centre. Um, we were doing a lot of youth work projects. Is it a youth work centre? Is it a community centre? Is it a sports centre? What is it? So, yeah, I, so even the parkour community um, wanted it to be a parkour centre and, and, and that understanding that we are not a parkour centre, we are not a skateboarding centre, we are, so that, that was a, a massive confusion. Um, and I, to this day, I think it's getting better now with parkour. I think they're maybe starting to understand us. Um, I wouldn't say that we teach parkour. We are now teaching uh, a mixture of parkour. Um, I, I, You know, what, what is it? So it's movement, and, it, and we're using parkour exercises as well as judo, as well as skateboarding, as well as ball. We ran physical literacy classes in the early days, and nobody came. We changed that to ninja school, and now the classes are not mobbed. Um, uh, what is ninja school ninja school is a, is a, is a mash it, that, that movement part mash now is starting to be alright oh, okay um, this current year a lot of our sports have had to be taken off the table obviously the contact sports just like yourself Rob the, the rugby they're, they're no longer there so indirectly this past year has been pretty good for movement park because it, it's made us only be able to deliver parkour skateboarding and ninja skills and people are starting to understand the market is a lot more streamlined the social media is a lot more streamlined and people are starting to, to understand what we can do and um, so like any of these things it, it takes time for for the education for the culture and um, there's still still some people out there in the community that say oh you know they're no parkour people you know but, who they to say they can do parkour. Um, so it's very much about the how to teach something rather than being able to do a double back somersault. You know, we are not teaching double back somersaults, we're teaching movement and it's just equipment or a mat or rolling and, you know, so um, it does take a while, but you do, and I guess you've got to have a bit of a thick skin because mm. I've always understood what we're trying to do. And at the end of the day, we're only using these sports as a vehicles. It's, 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 it's not the sport we're teaching, it's the, the ethics and the morals and, and we have a saying in the wall, your, your attitude determines your destination. And, and that, that is it, that's why we teach Kadama, that's why we teach juggling, that's because you've got to learn to fail. Um, so this mad mash, like with the circus stuff, It's just just pick it up, play with it, throw it into your session. If it's only five minutes, then great. You know, then you do break, falls, or judo. And then you just relate that to say, oh, if you did more of that, go and do parkour. And then you send, okay, but you need to be able to do that on wheels. Go and do skateboarding. And it's just movement vocabulary, isn't it? It's just confidence. And when you look at the stats, especially with girls, they're falling off the radar. So you've got to teach these sports in a method it's almost youth led isn't it it's youth work with a bit of sport added in with a bit of family engagement if you engage the family and the family feel confident then you've got them for a longer time and you can make more of a difference if mum and dad have if you've got buy in with them or if even if mum and dad are joining in with them then we are making a difference to society then we are making a difference um, getting mum you not know, just to sit in her iPad and go and do the shopping and blah. It's a bit a further engagement for me. Um, and and that's, what we're tra- that's what we're trying to do at Movement Park, you know, so,
0: yeah. So talk us through, you've mentioned a few of the kind of activities that you've already got and a few of the kind of your approach to, to staffing and coaching. Talk us through, what does an average day at Movement Park look like? What are the kind of different array of groups and activities and coaches that, that you'd see across a day?
1: Again it's, again, it's changed a little bit because of the, the times we're in, but in general, we start early morning with our toddler sessions. Um, it quickly became apparent that, that, um, that everybody that has a toddler thinks their toddler is the greatest toddler in the world. You know, <laughs> um, I was the same. You think your toddler is more advanced than any other toddler. So we have um, toddler sessions and we have parkour t- tots. We have uh, wheelie tots. Um, we have ninja talks and we used to have judo talks so so these sessions are early morning sessions, they're all about bringing mums and dads in um, and it's a family engagement so the, the hall is set up to, to suit the activity and we let them play um, and then that's a bit slowly kind of teaching a mum or dad uh, little progressions about if he's doing that then great but try and not say great for something he could be, should be doing anyway, try and say great for the thing that is next over the line, um, teaching them about how to jump properly and, and the impact, or how to roll properly, or you know, how to get on the balance bike. So our learners are generally put, starting with them, and, and what's interesting with that is we're starting to see a lot of those toddlers then come through to our, our early classes, because in the afternoon we, we predominantly deal with with schools, um, or dis- we had disability, like botcha and things like that, um, in the afternoon. And then we, we are out to the schools all day, so we've got school programmes. And then about four o'clock, we start the nighttime sessions, and that pretty much goes from four to seven, seven to nine, nine to eleven, and then keeping on going up to all the adults. Um, and each night is a different activity. But What the kids are allowed to do is if you pay your membership, you can come to as many sessions in the week as possible. So even through lockdown, we had um, parkour, skateboarding and ninja classes so and there's two of them each each week some parkour three um sorry four so you can come to as many sessions as you like you just book yourself in for your age group and what we do is is, is we, we move kids up and down depending on their ability there's no any catchment area as in your you must do a your age group it has to be more flexible than that and, and what we are seeing is we're seeing kids that are doing our ninja classes twice a week jumping on the skateboard, have done a bit of judo, and are doing some parkour. Even at eight and nine, their movement competencies and, and their confidence to try new things is, is immense. So so we're seeing kids moving from one sport to the other, and not even batting an eyelid. And, and that's only, this is pretty much predominantly pre twelve. And, and that's what we should be doing. We should be sharing our coaches, our, our skateboarding guys are saying to them, have you tried parkour? All right, okay. So, and and we've, got, we've got development syllabuses now for each one of these sports. So we, we've created a, a, a programme like the Belts and Judo for parkour and we've created one for skateboarding. So, so you kind of know where each of your children are. Um, so, it's, so our normal part of the day is trying to get the kids to participate and there's many different things. And the good thing about it is if they don't, if they normally come in a Monday night to parkour and they're busy that night, they can come the Tuesday, the Thursday, or the Sunday. Or if they don't want to do parkour that week, it doesn't really matter because we might see them at the judo Club. So so that is a that is a special environment for a, for a child to be brought up in, I believe. Um, and their mums and dads, you know, at least once a week, twice a week, maybe you'll see a mum or dad popping up. And we are seeing more families coming together to do parkour. You know, mums and dads are realizing it's not about doing a double back somersault. And if I can't do a cat wheel, that's okay. We tailor the classes to suit. So, so it's very much a regular day is a very playful atmosphere. It's a very dipping in, dipping out. Um, many of the kids from the starting point are only other kids starting points when they first walk in, but that, that's okay. As long as you're kind of better than yesterday, as long as you as you as, as long as you're feeling good, and as long as you're not thinking about chucking sport. Um, Pre-COVID, we used to have an art club and coding club and guitar club and all these kind of things, and we pretty much threw them into the mix, Rob, because a lot of the kids that are on the spectrum find the hall far too busy. So by doing guitar or coding or an art club or t-shirt printing. These things we're engaging with the community in a different way. Um, We have girls' programs only, so it's just trying to find different things of of different ways to engage the community. And as I said, it's more of a using these things as a vehicle to engage and to inspire, to build confidence and competence, so that you don't just say, "I'm rubbish at that." I'm chucking sport. So um, that that's kind of much where we head and what we try and do.
0: It's really yeah, interesting lot, because, yeah. like we said kind of before we got started, you know, we all kind of pay <clears throat> lip service to long-term athletic development and trying yeah. and sampling different sports. But there's there's very few places where people could go to one venue yeah. and try a host of different sports without there being the obligation of, oh, but you've got to play for the football team on Sunday. Or actually, yeah. no, you can't do this because, you know, that's rugby training on that night. Like, to be able to fluidly transition, like, as you say, between sports and try everything without obligation or without – You know, necessarily the commitment of a competition, etc., is quite unique.
1: Yeah, it's very unique. I mean, I'm a very competitive-minded, so uh, you know, for the last part, I'm a. My my journey, I, I was involved in about winning medals, and, and unfortunately, that I guess that's the way the system's still built, isn't it? You supposedly get better coaching the further you go up. You get into a squad because you win a medal, and then blah blah blah, and then maturation hits me, and I kind of poke myself in the eye because I've not care- spent time on physical literacy. So all those youths that come in, and if you, it, it does take time to build a system, but and we made a very conscious decision to start we're going to go back and deal with. The young kids actor starts the fundamentals and the, and the kind that's of touching upon the learn to train phases um from all these various models out there from ballet to kelvin giles to better movers and thinkers all these models that we're playing with no model fits you've got to you know take what you can from each of these things um so it takes time and then as your system grows then movement park children have never entered in a competition yet and we're but we're four years old, nearly. Um, that's really that's, inspe- that's an important thing, you know, non-competitiveness. There's people in Movement Park gagging for competitions, but that's what it's not all about. So, and we will get there as a the stru- as the structure gets stronger. Then the levels need built on top. So we will get to learn to train and train to train and train to perform eventually, and hopefully maybe sports clubs will start coming. At local rugby clubs will maybe pop along one day and say, "Right, well, okay, who've you got here?" you know, who is interested in that and, and start using us maybe as as um, scouting places for, for athletes of the future or, as we spoke before, we came on working stronger with rugby clubs or football clubs about injury prevention if you do judo or movement park because of do parkour because of explosive movements and the change of direction. All these things are invaluable um, and I think we will eventually get to that, but that non-competitiveness is very, very important. It's just that non-pressure to play, that non-pressure to change at the heart because I don't feel that doing drill this week Um, and to make that financially viable, which is extremely hard, um, to balance all your books at the end of the day as a sports club, um, social deprivation, and and it's going to be even more so after we get out of this this crazy phase that we're at is people financially can't afford to, to do sport the way it's been designed at the moment. Um, our hubs, the Sports Scotland, there is a lot of sports in there and active schools are driving them in, but none of these the sports clubs are particularly talking to each other. Or they all have different um, welfare officers and different um, outcomes and blah, blah, Whereas Whereas the movement part, we are an umbrella and we don't let out the place. So everything is of the same philosophy. And it goes back to the Judo philosophy. Um, the principles from judo and, and what that gives but the urban sports thing is probably taking over, if you ask the majority of people what movement park was, they'd probably say oh, a parkour place that's only because parkour is very fashionable at the moment and it's so exciting it's in the video games, it's in superheroes, it's in it's, it's all over the place, it seems this new sparkly thing and, and it's fantastic I guess what we are kind of doing is a, is a mash of everything and um, which is a little bit a bit of a unique model um, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes, you know. Um,
0: it's really interesting what you're saying about the non-competitive side of things because there's obviously always that debate around, you know, competition or, or having a non-competitive environment. But I guess the problem is the, the kids who uh, have, as you say, the competency and the confidence to be competitive have already got a platform for that. They can already mm-hmm. sign up to their local football team or local rugby team and go and get that competition. But it's more likely the kids who don't have that confidence and competence that aren't going to do that. As as you say, we lose it out of sport because mm. they haven't had that period of non-competitiveness to build that confidence and competence to then transfer potentially.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. But even when you're saying but we don't have that competition, kids will find competition in the session. You know, we have, we have wee kids that you're going, did you see that? You know, and I'm in the back of my brain. I am a competitive person. I'm going, you know, he's going to be, He, he is he going to be doing, the question I'm asking, are they going to be doing judo, skateboarding, parkour, or where are they going to end up? It's irrelevant. And kids will create competition within yourself. A clever coach can make a competition like that in the middle of a session. You just have to ask the right question or put the right the right challenge in front of the person. And suddenly that competitive minded kid just automatically makes it a competition, whether it's between me and you, or whether it's between yourself of of doing something faster, slicker, or, or quicker. Um, so, the word competition is, is, is such a crazy word. Um, I guess what when it starts to becoming, when I feel my confidence dipping is when I'm not winning something, and you don't put something round my neck, and we don't have. Kids training like Olympic champions at the age of nine and ten, and they think their their kid's going to be the next big thing when they're only nine. For you know, crying out loud, he's nine. Give him a chance. Give him a chance to make mistakes. Um, and we see that all the time, don't we? It's, my son's in blah blah blah. He wants that track, so he, You know, who they competing for? The coach, the mum and dad. All these questions need to be kind of almost blown out of the water. Um, but I also understand governing bodies and systems of moving people through performance. Um, so uh, competition is, is a very wide spectrum. So to say that Movement part doesn't have competition, we don't. In-house, then it, at times it feels very much, yes, we have, because that's competition within yourself to get better. Mm. Um, so it's interesting, yeah.
0: So, what about like you obviously mentioned from a coaching perspective that like you particularly decided to target younger volunteer coaches? What have you seen much progression there within there? Or is there is there much of a development pathway for them within Movement Park?
1: Yeah, I mean, most of our coaches now, again, again, since since the the this crazy year, I was up to that point very much hands on delivery, um, very much. In every session, you know, I was always there, always there. And, and through through lockdown, I've kind of very much made a definite decision that after lockdown, or we opened up for a short period there, I wasn't going to deliver any longer. Um, a number of our coaches were young volunteers. Um, and that that created a, a bit of a, a, a rustle in the feathers in the community, as in, oh, you've not got supposed qualified coaches out there or you're not doing the normal qualified qualification that, that teaches you. And, I, and my, my kind of answer to that was, well, I've been involved in coach education a long time and I'm level three you know, and I, I can understand when a safe environment is um, and I understand that mentoring young people that are mentoring young people. But as you become older within yourself, and I'm a funny wee man with a grey beard and, and specs, then you cannot see the kids going, who's that old guy, Are you telling us what to do? So, so you need that bridging between you and the kids and young volunteers can talk the lingo and the language and how, how technical do you actually have to be teaching a child when it's just play, you know? So does it need to be a level two, a level three, a performance coach or is the inspiration and engagement more important? And I would argue that that's more important because you don't come back for the sports session. You come back for the coach. You come back because that person's made that thing your world, or they've, they've noticed something about you. So, so now that is going back. There's more. All of our coaches at Movement Park have been with us now two or three years, so they understand our system. They understand our delivery style, they understand that it's not just parkour, it's not just skateboarding. We're no judo. We are movement park. Um, the coaches, the parkour coaches, we will see them in the skateboarding session. when well, they're not actually teaching the skateboarding skills. The skateboarding coach will do that, but they'll be second coaching, and vice versa. The judo coach, they're all swap over. So, so it is becoming a very much a movement park style. Um, and that I think that's that's key. So our, our, by having, and having patience with those coaches, they have grown into a movement park. The movement park is the activity, almost. And tonight we are just more verging on parkour or we're more verging on something with wheels. Um, so that, that takes a while, doesn't it? And, and that has caused me, as with these young coaches with their chaotic lifestyles and, their, and their, their upbringings, it's not been easy a lot of the time. But like anything, if you have patience, then and, and you're always there to have a helping hand and understanding, or maybe not so understanding at times. Um, hopefully, your, your system starts to grow stronger, and, and hopefully, we will be able to move move away from or stay with active start um, fundamentals, and we will get to learn to train, train to train, and into more um, key technical phases of a child's development or a person's development. Um, and I think we will start to focus on more adults because of the family participation. We are getting more adults saying, is there, is there a skateboarding session for me? Or is a, you know, we've started an adult sessions? Um, I think we will start to find it coming down the way. Um, because through lockdown, our membership has been shooting up because of things are closed down so we are at this moment back to sport scotland asking for for a more facility fund to grow bigger um, so that we can al- almost have a designated parkour area a designated judo area a designated skateboarding area whereas logistically at, at times at the moment because our membership has exploded and the and the and the, um, the system is growing logistically sometimes it's it's hard to change over um so so it's a ne- we're into the next the next um, phase the next visit plan it will be interesting to see where we go because i think a lot of people are starting to understand oh, right okay it's play it, you know hmm. but the kids come for parkour the kids come for a thing or they what do you think is parkour because i've seen spider-man doing it on their video games or you know and, and at the end of the day it's, it's old school playing isn't it with equipment it's movements change of direction it's it's all these things it's high and eye coordination we have a physical literacy wheel that everything's underpinning to that fundamental process of of being confident mover. If you have a constant mover. If you're a confident mover, then so many more doors open up for you. Less injuries happen. All these things are underpinned by just being a nice mover um, and having confidence to try that, you know. Mm. Um, so it's, it's an interesting process and it's been fun, many of them.
0: I mean, I guess your point earlier as well begs the question, you know, what does a world-class active start coach look like anyway, or a world-class, you know, train-to-train coach? Because as you know, as well as I do, that the, all the coaching pathways are set up to gear, to prioritise adult yeah. you know, competition. So, you know, you do your minis rugby, and then you do your youth rugby, and then you do your adult rugby. There's no, it's, there's no sideways development from a mm. how do you, you know, get to be a world-class under 10s coach. You know, it's no, mm. you go on to the next age group. What if we never yeah. wanted to go to the next level? What if I wanted to become the best under-10s coach in the world? Well, there's no, there's no yeah. development pathway for that, is there?
1: Yeah, no, but I, th- I think I think the pathway is just
0: the fulfilment
1: of your children being passed on appropriately, um, and, and and the person above you then still having something to do with you, you know. Whereas then at ten times when you do pass that on, that's you. It's broke. It's, it, you don't really see it. Um, you don't have any more contact with that athlete because it's a um, a different club or a different area and stuff like that. Whereas, to be a, a world class under tens coach, um, not to say that you can't move up or move down, but it takes a it takes a lot of encouragement just to stay there. You know, just to be happy there. That that's where you're good. That's where you are at, and to. to I guess that's just you as a coach and your journey of, of where you enjoy. And I think that changes as, as you grow as a coach or you have your own family, you know, where do I personally love teaching? You know, I personally do still love teaching those little kiddies. I love seeing their, their faces when they, when they, they come in and, and, well, I kind of still like them maybe because it, they find my jokes funny. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's maybe street. That's my, <laughs> it's, you know, it's two-way street. So maybe it's, it's at, they're my level. Um, and then I love the teenage years because, the, you know, that's when you, the brains are starting to question you or kick back against you. And so, so you just got to find where you're happiest. And, and hopefully your club structure is creating fulfilment for that coach um, and giving them a pat on the back when, when I know, we Jimmy comes through and he's, he's ready to move to that next level. Whereas it's, if a wee kid moves through to another team and they're no underpinning, when that workload gets harder, if they've not got those underpinning things fixed, then they're going to drop out. So I guess with our model, we can see the kid moving through and the coaches can still dip in and dip out. But the young coaches that are dealing with these young athletes, um they're, they're fundamental, you know they, they are key, they're setting things up for the rest of an athlete's life you know, um, so you could argue they are, they are, they are the most important coaches um, and and you've got to give kids enough time to play, we stop playing too early, we move on to that We're fantastic, are fantastic at the technical and tactical part, you know, and kids competing like Olympic champions and having to learn this and having to learn that you know, you should be doing physical literacy your whole life, you know, and, and, and your body changes all the time. You know, you get young boys coming in and they kind of poke themselves in the eye, um, they kind of touch their toes, they kind of do a cartwheel, but they want to do a double backflip. So it's about creating different um, ways of stripping that back um, and making them feel as if they are a part of the gang. Because uh, young boys that are coming in to teach, do they want to learn to do parkour? They watch YouTube to you know to every hour of the, the morning and think they want to come in, but their fundamental skills, their legs are going two feet in the last year, and, and these things you have to have a different engagement at that point because they're going if you don't, you know they've, they've got pubs, they've got drink, they've got drugs, they've got women, they've got all sorts of you know they've got exams, they've got so you need a lot of understanding at that age, and um, but if I can catch them early on then I guess we are kind of growing them from the grassroots up. We're changing some. Sometimes, maybe you could say, Oh, well, those teenager ones are gone. We can't, I can't, I'm not going looking for them. If they come to us and they find us, we've got to engage with them appropriately. But what we're really doing is we're starting from the ground and we're, we're, we're getting our own community. Um, and the community will grow with us, families will grow with us. Um, and I think that's how we can we can change stuff, obesity or you know, physical literacy or, you know, all these kind of things. Um, and that, that, that's the way we're, we're trying to tackle it, Rob.
0: So. so for those who are kind of more interested in learning about physical literacy and about some of the, the things that you've mentioned, what are some of the resources that you would point people towards that maybe started to, you know, spring a light bulb for you when you were looking more into this a few years back?
1: Um, I spoke about Canada. Canada was always a, a, an ignition. When I went to the long-term athletic development conference over in Canada, I'd been paying attention to a lot of their stuff. Um, And they are very focused on that long-term player development. I change the player into people. Um, And they have a lot of fantastic resources. Um, So if you look at Canadian Sport for Life, you know they have a lot of resources that are very um, easy to read. They've got it for coaches, they've got it for disability, they've got it for parents, they've got it in small chunks. And they kind of switch over, which made a point to me. They kind of say, if you can't throw, catch, da, 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 these physical things, these are the sports that are going. To, you're going to find difficult. So instead of saying to do sw- to do throwing, you've got to be able to do this, this, and this. They say if you can't do this, this, and this, and it rules out that, that, and that. So it's a different way of flipping over, which makes parents go, "All oh, right, so if he can't bounce a ball, he can't even be good He's not going to be very good at basketball. He's not going to want to do basketball. So different resources like that." Better Movers and Thinkers was always a fantastic programme that, that did a lot for us. Um uh Kelvin Giles, all these things. But I think I think resources you have got to just get out there, haven't you? You've got to you got to find and you've got to read and you've got to it's, a, it's an own personal journey. Um and don't be afraid to ask, don't be afraid to go and watch a rugby club training and, and, and ask, you know. Um the different methods I don't think I don't think we share enough. Um I think we're getting better at it. Um but as we spoke earlier before we go on, I think don't think sports coaches you very hear rarely hear a sports coach telling somebody to go to another club. I don't want to see you tonight. Go and play. Now that's a really confident coach to say that, isn't it? It's like cause, and, and if I was an athlete, I remember it with my coach telling me to go and do wrestling. I'd no, if I want to do judo the night, not go and do wrestling. But I remember I remember the confidence of that coach. And I went back to that coach because he had the confidence to send me away. So so that's a special connection, you know. Um so I think I think we've got to take a, a a leaf from that book um and share more and play more and play with your kids more. It's too easy to forget how to play with your kids and or what we think is playing with our kids. Um so so dip in and out and read as much as possible. Mm. And find your find your own way, Rob.
0: Definitely. So finally, where can people find out more about you and about Movement Park and what you guys are are trying to do in Glasgow?
1: Well, we're in Glasgow on South Street. You can always come and give us a visit. Once we open back up, we have an outside and inside um, facility there. Um, Always welcome to to send me an email and come and visit us. We're on Instagram. We've got a website. um, And we are very kinesthetic. We do, rather than... um, about resources and blah 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 we are very much focused on our membership or our community and these kind of things um so give us a visit uh, and that's the best thing how to to understand more about us really is to come come and get involved really Um, whether you're a basketball coach a judo coach or or whatever you are we're open to open to play
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Stephen, and what you're doing Movement Part sounds fantastic. So best of luck with that for the rest of this year and beyond. I really look forward to seeing how you guys develop and grow more. Thank you very much, Rob. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a number of simple things you can do to help support the podcast. First, hit subscribe on your chosen podcast player so you're kept up to date with the latest episode releases. Second, you can leave us a review to help us reach more coaches and parents like yourself. Third, you can send this episode on to a coach or friend to help spread the word. And then fourth, you can find us on social media, on Facebook using Athletic Evolution and on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at Athletic Evo UK.